You know, kidnappers do horrible things to kids. He's coming! Run! Stay quiet, you hear? Or I will shoot you. Hey, sure, get in. Waterboarding is torture. It is illegal. No! Is this thing on? Yes, this is Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update. Uh, this episode is going to be... It's going to be a look at a gentleman named C. Tom or Tom Charlie. Those are both pseudonyms for a an independent filmmaker in the Detroit metro area. And he's a mysterious figure. He doesn't like to put himself out there. And it took me a while to track down exactly who he was. Um, I'm not even going to tell anybody his name because I'm not like 110% sure what it is and I don't want to spoil the surprise for a future book or article or uh, project I'm working on. But I will tell you that Tom Charlie or C. Tom and that's spelled lowercase c capital T-O-M if you want to uh, Google it. He's a, uh, I, he's not entirely sure what the hell's going on with him. For a period of time in the 2000s he made these kind of like message movies extremely low budget camcorder no sound, uh, no competent sound at least. And they're so funny. And he was definitely onto like the whole pedo gate, pizza gate, cute and on tip years before uh, anybody else. Um, he was really kind of like riding a wave of something. And so I guess this is kind of, of a piece with my T. Krulos interview about the uh, Phantom Patriot and. Some other things I have coming up in the future, which are kind of like the cultural touchstones of the QAnon movement, or predecessors, but not even touchstones, because nobody in the QAnon movement knows anything about this guy. He just lived in obscurity, maybe is still living in obscurity, not entirely sure. But at any rate, he put out like four of these movies, and the one we're going to look at is called Song of the Blind Girl. And it's the story of a Gulf War veteran who has PTSD, and comes back to the United States and havoc ensues. And we learn an awful lot about uh, C. Tom's bizarre preoccupations. So it's like a So Bad It's Good movie, and if you like listening to So Bad It's Good commentary, this will be right up your alley. I'll be discussing the film with Dylan Kolslowski. He's a artist of sorts, performance artist and movie reviewer and filmmaker here in Pittsburgh. Um... Dylan Coleslaw is what he goes by, but if you look up Dylan Coleslawowski on Facebook, you'll probably find him, because you have to use your real name on Facebook. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let's hear more about C-Tom with Dylan Coleslaw. Crooked bankers, raw child on the run. Deep state players, we know what we've done. A light is coming in, exposure every sin. As the mainstream media lies come undone. Here's a great man that drives them all insane. And he's gonna make America great again. I really want to introduce you to my friend Q and the people of the Great Awakening. Not long ago, as we all know, the CIA and NSA recorded every step we made. Surveillance state recorded everything we say. Tracking everything we do every single day. Our privacy stolen by the deep state. They didn't hide the crimes. That's a very big mistake. They didn't think about the good guys in the NSA. Mr. Miller, a wealthy man. Jennifer ran away from Miller's house and was kidnapped. Police suspect foul play in her disappearance and suspect her parents. Her stepfather confessed to her murder. Jennifer attempted a coat hanger abortion at kidnapper's house and had a near-death experience. Kidnapper promised to God to return Jennifer to her mother if she lives. The child, Mia, whom he kidnapped, kept pining for her mother until she catched pneumonia in that cold house without any utility. This is, by the way, exactly what it says. She was taken to hospital, but was kidnapped by someone else. 
Police suspected foul play in the child's disappearance, and the mother points finger at her ex-boyfriend, Brandon. Police kills Brandon. (laughs) Kidnapping is hounded by memories of a singing blind girl whom he killed for fun in Afghanistan. In his hallucinations, he sees the blind girl and hear her beautiful voice everywhere. Kidnapper suspects loss of Mia is God's punishment for not returning Jennifer to her mother. Kidnapper prepare to take Jennifer back to her mother, and that leads to climactic events and tragic conclusion of the story. Best Picture at American International Film Festival 2010, and award-winning actors... This movie will keep you on the edge of your seats until the end. No nudity, no vulgar language, no profanity. There is violence recommended for 13 years in order. Another satire by award-winning director C. Tom. Well, um, that's amazing. I was fiddling with the levels while you were reading that. That is um, fine. I was going to have you read it again, but I can tell by looking at your screen. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very long description and... There are some typographical errors. Also, I really can't read either, but um, uh, I think that's more more towards uh, my problems of reading more towards that convoluted language, which actually bears more confusion, more questions than the actual movie itself. So we should describe. So we should get into a quick description as before we get too off base. So C. Tom he writes all these these movies and books and he's like you cannot tell what his agenda is i yeah, can't it tell seems to just but he has obsessions right yeah so he's obsessed with the fact that jewish people run the world and and if you say anything about it you're an anti-semite and he seems and to think that anti- little- line where you will go on trial for anti-semitism it's in like in every one film. of his and movies it's, yeah it's in all of them <laughs> and he seems to think that anti-semitism is like illegal in the united states yeah. like there's a law yeah um and he's also obsessed with like america going like imperialism yeah um he's obsessed with um Sex, child sex trafficking, like pre Epstein child sex trafficking. I mean, he really saw all, 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 all the writing on the wall. He's a proto pizza game. Yes, <laughs> and and his other is he Q? He, he may be. Yeah. So his movies like don't explain themselves well, but when you watch them, you realize they're like a dark, deranged post uh, David Lynchian. Like summation of like 4chan, basically. Yes. And that's what makes it perfect for discussing on this podcast. Um, so let's go into let's go into Song of the Blind Girl. Um, what? How's that? How's the movie start off? Uh, the movie starts off with a uh, scroll that goes on entirely too long. Very slow. I mean, I'm a, I'm a slow reader. But it seems to go on for about 10 minutes. It just describes a um, clearly mentally suffering PTSD out uh, Iraq war vet. And it's it. Okay, the movie was made in 2011. And it's it it, uh, suggests that at the beginning, not suggests, but tells the Iraq war had gone on 15 years at this point, which we know it, it has. Um, so it really basically takes place in 2018. Um, and it's this Iraq war vet that is just in the Midwest suburbs, just trying to find a, a, um, abandoned house to break into middle of middle of Detroit suburbs. Um, and is very steadfast on this idea that he, has this family that he's trying to reunite with and he he finds a house breaks in looks like a brand new house that just has just toiletries everywhere yeah it's supposed just, to be abandoned but yeah. it looks like yeah. somebody lives there it, it 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 doesn't look quite lived in it just has like all very sterile no no decoration no decorative 
settings. It looks like somebody of, is in the middle of moving in. Yeah, it, it, it's very barren, but they still left all their like Dawn dish soap everywhere. And yeah, uh, like like um, like they just they they do this scroll, and it's like after fifteen years of war, an Iraq veteran returns home, returns to America, and is living in abandoned homes. And he goes into this house, and like the closet's full of. He like finds a wallet and pulls money out of it. He's chewing on a piece of beef jerky. Yeah, there's there's a lot of beef jerky and a lot of like uh, string cheese <laughs> just stored up. I, I mean, it, it really garnished this whole spectacle of fiction that this was like some above ground bomb shelter where they're just hoarding just Slim Jims and Cheez-Its for 50 years. The um the main character, the Iraq War vet. His name um, is played by Andrew Daw Collins, who I have actually spoken to. He's a really nice guy. He, I don't believe he's retired yet, but uh, when I spoke, he might be. But when I spoke to him, he was working like in a automotive plant in Detroit and um, acting on the side. I think um, this was his first role, and he told me that like never again will he take a role where the casting calls at Wendy's because <laughs> <laughs> he found something on Craigslist or on some, some <laughs> casting website. And he went to uh Wendy's and met C Tom and, and then like basically after the first like day of shooting, he realized that, um, this was a, uh, completely rough shot amateur production but he stuck it out because he felt like he owed it to the craft and he gave his word so even though this was absolutely terrible he um he knew it was terrible and i have to say he's like the sole actor in this picture yeah he, he can he really act yeah yeah there there is he's definitely one of the the highlights of this film uh, I I I definitely think for what it is, he definitely carries it. Yeah, you can tell that he's like acting, and he's just choking on these like terrible dialogue. Which, yeah, it's like Lawrence like, Olivier couldn't really act through um, some of this dialogue, uh, which like which is pretty much a trademark of uh, C. Thomas films. And yeah, it's it's all written as if like. English as a second language yeah. like that like it's like if you were doing like a horrible racist stereotype of somebody and writing like bad like dialogue for somebody that's like oh let's laugh at the guy from India who doesn't know English very well like that's what this sounds like and he's famous for not giving anybody their sides or the let, not letting anybody see the whole script ever not anybody giving not giving anybody their lines until the day of shooting and not letting anyone deviate from the lines at all so like what you have is a lot of people who are like obviously reading off the script that's just off camera um this is a real like sort of kubrickian kubrickian yeah. power mad yeah. <laughs> and you know one of his um one of the actors that I spoke to that was in a different film of his compared him to Kubrick. Um, he was like, you know, he doesn't. I mean, see the methodology is is very much there. The the skill set and and uh, one one other thing that um, bears bears mentioning um, before we continue is Andrew Dawes Collins' character, who I'm not entirely sure he was ever given a name. I'm pretty sure on IMDb he is just like soldier or veteran, the, the or driver, or, yeah, or like. Uh um, <laughs> He doesn't look like he was a. Uh, he doesn't look like he left the armed forces any time in the recent past. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if had the movie taken, had the the backstory been maybe Desert Storm, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. war on Grenada, <laughs> yeah, that that would have been more. Like I, I you know, I, I he's not in shape. I mean, I he's not in just, shape the way that a soldier needs yeah. to be in shape to not to. I remain think I just, in the armed forces, and he's not the nearly the correct age. Although after the Gulf War kicked in, yeah. um, they were having such a hard time recruiting people. I think the army raised the recruit the uh, age up to like forty or something really insane. But um, oh, so maybe. He, but even as a forty year old, he was not in shape 
I mean, that just goes to show how long this the 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 invasion in Iraq has gone on. Yeah, that's the. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's that was, a speculative yeah. nature of yeah. this, this uh, film. So he finds a house, an abandoned house that luckily has beef jerky and a shotgun, and then he immediately goes out looking for his daughter. Well, he he, he finds a, uh, a very. He just goes out country stroll finds a young girl just just running <laughs> kidnaps her brings her home um immediately show shows that he's serious by killing a dog in front of her um and um um yeah. feeds her uh dog soup feeds her dog soup and you know yeah dog soup is a recurring theme yeah, there's a lot of soup, a lot of dog soup, a lot of uh, references to soup in this film. Very soup-obsessed character. Uh, that's just very much a part of his arc. Um, a little fun fact I learned is that, um, talking to a former C-Tom actor, is that the police actually came on set that day because somebody saw the uh, them shooting the kidnapping scene. And, you know, there was, I'm sure, nothing to indicate that this was a film I mean, crew that, at that's all. just guerrilla filmmaking. That, that I mean, it, it, it does, you know, remind me of, like, a edgy 70s film, like, like Cassavetes or Ramirez Martin or something, just stealing shots. And, yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, <laughs> the police Herzog think you're is another one. Uh, like, kidnapping Strazek, a young lady. Yeah. At some point, C. Tom started saying, indicating that his films were satire. I think he meant them to be like social realism. And then when he realized that people were watching them to make fun of them, he decided to turn them into satire. Well, were they though? Were they actually like watching them or? That's true. Someone would have <laughs> yeah, to I'm, see I'm, that. Because uh, they're not. A, a few people have seen these. Uh, there's three Amazon reviews uh, right now. Uh,. But I don't. I. I, I mean, I feel are, like this is still very uh, untapped treasure we have here, though. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there is an indication, like the one signifier that I think um, indicates that he at least partially intends this to be satire. Satire can also have like an important social message, you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like satire is kind of built for commenting on society and commenting on the system and the man um channel 69 news a lot of times the story is the classic trope of yeah. c tom's film yeah is to have like a yeah. uh, a news flash because like he couldn't figure out how to tell the story or move the plot along any other way and this time it was channel 69 news was doing uh little broadcasts to move the story along. Uh, I think the first one was probably local girl kidnapped. And then there was another kidnapping, right? Um, the second kidnapping was in the, the, uh, the parking lot of, uh, I don't know. It was like Steinmart or some, some place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kroger's. Yeah. Yeah. It was like Kroger's parking lot. It was just clearly Midwest. So yeah, the Kroger's would be. Piggly Wiggly? Or, or, yeah, Piggly Wiggly. It'll be like West Virginia. Yeah. Oh, maybe it was the Ollie's parking lot. I don't know. Um, the, the mother is too busy, you know, talking on the on the phone, getting that. That's some good social satire. Yeah, right that's. There. Social commentary. Yeah, that's uh, straight up like Huxleyism. Everyone's just attached to their technology and phone. But uh, yeah, she's uh, on her phone, just runs up right behind the kid, kidnaps her, drives away. Next thing you know, he's got a second victim. V veteran walks up right behind her, snaps her. Nobody even sees it. And then... Um, well, someone saw it because that's the scene where everyone called the cops on, right? That's right. Yeah, right, so right. someone did see that. It's, it's, just not, it's just not in the film. <laughs> that's that's in the that, redux cut. That's what uh, Channel 69 News is for. So um, so he's reconstituting his family. So it's, yes. it's, it's the uh, veteran and... Um, Two little girls now, who he calls Mandy and Alice, but their names are like Janet and 
Mia or something? I, I think one's called Mia, one's called Mandy. It's I mean, I, I heard a couple names. I also did not retain that much information. Yeah, well, there was were... so much thrown at me that I, I, I really couldn't... My my brain is like a acorn. I can only I mean, retain so probably, much information. So it's probably good for you that you didn't waste yeah. your brain on this. Um, well, I mean, it was just I noticed it because at the beginning they were making a big deal of about like the girls had their real names, but they had to use their fake names and call the veteran daddy, or else he would like threatened to shoot them and make girl soup out of them. But by the end of the movie, it's like nobody cared anymore. And it was anybody could be any name. It's kind of just like the audience. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, they're probably watching this. The movie was probably shot in sequence. So like if you can't even muster up the interest to watch it, you can imagine how bored the, the uh, people making the movie were. Yeah. See Tom's movies. You can tell they kind of like, endeavor to have a structure or aspire towards a structure but they never quite make it yeah but this movie this movie seemed to follow a very crudely of course follow a more conventional narrative than the other other three i think there were um three movies that he's done because this might be they they all have a release date of uh if you go on imdb or whatever about 2011 so i don't know what was made in sequence but i feel like this is this is the last one and this is when he started to really get into the fundamentals uh, of narrative filmmaking or storytelling yeah yeah and so so this the other was... ones are just like scene by scene by scene by scene, right. scene, scene. all right so there's the plot of the troubled Vietnam, Vietnam. He's old enough to be Vietnam. Um, <laughs> Gulf War vet, um, you know, like coping with his life. And like, there's one telling part at the, um, there's one telling part towards the uh, climax of the film where, where, um, where the girl thinks that the uh, main character thinks she's pregnant. Which the um, the veteran, the main girl thinks she's pregnant, but the veteran doesn't understand how a young girl could be pregnant if she's not married, and um, and he mentioned coat hanger abortions, and she's like, "What's a coat hanger abortion?" And he explained how, as a special ops soldier in Afghanistan, they would like frame Al Qaeda by like performing, uh, rounding perform- up all the women and performing. Coat. Who were all pregnant and performing hundreds of coat hanger abortions. Yeah, like, so, I don't know how big these villages are. Yeah, it was basically like he basically participated in the modern day rape of Nanking. Or in, but I, you know, it's interesting. It tell, talks about how talk about how a um a broken clock is right twice a day. You know, I mean, he was basically describing. I mean, not. He was basically describing in a very general way, like the Phoenix program in Vietnam or how Phoenix style operations came to happen in, in uh, Central America and in the Middle East. Um, This is a political statement. This film is a political statement as much as anything. And, um, and he definitely has heard something from someone who once read something <laughs> about, <laughs> about modern warfare and dirty yeah. wars. So it's interesting, like, this isn't the uh, very astute type of uh, political fiction that we need as a society, but maybe it's what we get. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's definitely a work in progress, <clears throat> but um, I don't know, there is something there. Um Though also at the same time, I mean, it is like it is like QAnon or Pizzagate, where it's just like, well, yeah, there's definitely some truth to what he's trying to get at. So Pizzagate, that's really interesting because there is, you know, the other subplot. While this weird family is developing in an abandoned home on the outskirts of Michigan, there's a subplot that takes place in a interrogation room in a police station with the girl, the older girl who was abducted's father, who 
they're trying to get him to admit that he like well first raped his daughter and then sold her, sold virginity, her virginity on the black market. So somebody should explain to see Tom how that's not possible. But I I think that's part of his brilliance is that he is creating. He is so far down into the un, unreliable protagonist, unreliable character that he's made every peripheral character completely unreliable to the point that the movie itself is an unreliable film. Like and, it, and it's very much like uh, uh, The Big Sleep. <laughs> uh, it's so convoluted to the point where, oh, I don't know, uh, you, you feel dumber for having watched it, but you feel like you just aren't getting it. and. <laughs> so 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 they're trying to like it, it it gets confusing at first because the the scenes in the house seem to take place over the course of like a week or a month but the scenes I'm really not sure but the scenes in the interrogation room definitely seem to take place over the course of like 4 hours yeah 4 hour span so first, so we, we, we see C. Tom's obsession with child trafficking, sex trafficking, with like the father being set up as the fall guy. And you're not quite sure if he really did that. It seems like this might be giving C. Tom too much credit, but I think we're supposed to think that the police are just completely railroading him. And then the little girl, the other girl who was kidnapped, they start bringing her mother in and it's the same thing. Is it? Yeah, they're bringing her mother in, and and it's the same thing. And then, like, another thing worth noting is that the women's mothers are played by, like, 60-year-old women. <laughs> like, retired. I like, mean, that's low-balling it, but yes. Yeah, at least. You and, know, women, um, like, 65-year-old. Definitely retirees who have, like, got into a- this amateur acting stuff, like, way too late in life. Um, So, like, basically, C. Tom could get 10-year-old actress actors or... Which I'm or far more puzzled by. Or 65-year-old actors, uh, but that's it. Allow your children to be in this movie, but... Another thing that C. Tom always insists on having in his movies is at least one Bollywood dance number. Yeah, and uh, usually, at least, I think like two out of four of them, they're, they're, they're a little stinger, like uh, like a, after the end of a Marvel movie, like Samuel Jackson comes in as... Uh, that guy, whatever. I, I haven't really watched him, but, um, but, and they're usually a long uh, musical dance sequence with the entire cast that goes on for about six minutes. This one has it like right in the middle as a dream sequence. Yeah. So, um, this is yet more evidence of C. Tom's uh, sublime sense of humor. The girls go to sleep, and then the one girl starts dreaming that she's in a field. And then the other sister comes in, and the first one starts arguing with her. She's like, this is my dream. The other one's like, no, this is my dream. Then a third girl yeah, shows up. a third girl, and I'm not really completely sure of... Um, not, not before, nor since in this movie does this person appear. I mean, it's just this weird red herring that exists in the confines of just this dream sequence. Um, my thought was that this was... Like, because at this point, it's established that during his time in the war, he was uh, not so much of a great person. And I, I kind of thought that this was like someone he had killed previously, like it was confiding his his guilt in whatever. But um, but it's not his dream. It's not his dream. I mean, that might be a supernatural element. Maybe they're like on the astral plane or weird Akashic Kruger. records or yeah. <laughs> Um, my my feeling is that there was supposed to be three sisters in the movie and that she split so they cut all her scenes. Yeah. But um I mean they they truthfully it, they that's probably what day. happened here. Uh we gotta discuss the uh, detective, I guess, who's uh shaking everybody down. Yeah, yeah, Dennis Farnia looking guy, which when I first saw this film I was under um the influence, which I don't do anymore, so don't do this, kids. But I was under uh, enhanced uh, mental drugs or, or <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I saw this in a theater, and I actually thought that that was Dennis Farnia. They got the most 
bootleg looking Dennis Farnio. Is it Farnio or Farina? I don't know. It's it's it might be Farina. All right, I'm very confused. Like the whole point of that investigation when they investigate the older girl's mother and father is that they found the body. Yeah. But the girl is still alive because the movie's happening. And but they never explain was it somebody else's body? Does yeah. this take place in the future? That's the Do great these mystery scenes take of this place film. after That would seem to indicate that all the that the subplot of or the it's not really a subplot, it's all the same story, but the action that takes place in the interrogation room and with the police must have happened after yet be intercut with the stuff that happens with the veteran and the girls in the house. Yeah, I mean every every I've seen this movie three times and every time I have a different perspective on it. Um the first time I watched it of course I thought it was happening congruently with what was happening in the yeah. house. And then I thought this was afterwards um and the they had been killed somehow it goes in this this whole arc about this mm -hmm. miller character but so i i i i think it's just inept filmmaking uh is the yeah you know but that evidence of that would one piece of evidence that would seem to suggest only one there's only one piece of evidence that would seem to suggest inept filmmaking and that's like the time the um Dennis Farina like is yelling at the father and he's like, won't you think about it while I'll give, give you, go get some cigarettes and coffee. Well, he's and, already like, smoking and cigarettes. And he's got his cigarettes in his hand and there's a 7-Eleven like, cup, cup of coffee yeah. on the thing. Yeah. So he walks out of the room and then he comes back in and now there's no coffee cups anywhere. And it's like, well, that was just a leeway. In a, a, a very poor attempt to leeway to leave the room so um, we can get an introduction to the great character actor and staple of all of C. Thomas films, um, basically his De Niro or DiCaprio, uh, Chips O'Neill, to come in uh, dressed as a skipper from Gilligan's Island to just... Um, <laughs> alluding skipper, to the... Alluding skipper to the, meets, um, um, meets uh, cruising. Yeah. It alludes to the naked Indian or naked, what was it? Naked cowboy from Cruising who just comes in and beats and beats the crap out of Al Pacino. Um, so no one would believe because that was actually a tactic that was apparently really used by the NYPD to just have these, these obtuse, strange things happen. So no one would believe you when you tried to tell the story. Um, but it, it draws to that, and Chips O'Neill comes in dressed as uh, partially the skipper from Gilligan's Island, wearing a novelty, <laughs> oversized police badge Child's. on the top of his <laughs> captain's hat, or whatever you want to call it, and ruffs... Uh, oh, wait, 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 come on. Blousy white dress shirt buttoned down, like, halfway to the navel, tucked in some, like... Like large, like wide cut TJ Maxx blue jeans, like so dad shorts. Yeah, and, uh, it's not a. Um, who would believe that? I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's a uh, uh, by it's the just, book police. Uniform. Yeah, I mean it's it's just a complete fashion faux pas. Um, are we talking about again? Um, oh, so I, I'm just too caught up in the. No, that's all right. The fashion of this, the, film. Um, you know. So Chips O'Neill comes in and they waterboard, waterboard Dad, which is a, um, you know, interesting in light of the fact that you know, people who understand militarization of police and uh, counterinsurgency specifically, like counterinsurgency, which we mentioned because um, the veteran in this movie was part of counterinsurgency operations in Afghanistan or wherever the hell he was. It wasn't really established because he was like, you know, giving coat hanger abortions to Afghani women as part of this counterinsurgency dirty war operation. Um, 
people who understand counterinsurgency and people who understand American policing are concerned that there's an interaction or, you know, there's a, there's an interaction between domestic policing and counterinsurgency operations abroad and that American police are becoming more like, like, like the military. And, um, so the fact that they would waterboard, uh, a suspect is very much, you know, very much shows an awareness or an accidental awareness on C. Tom's part of the role of counterinsurgency in uh, domestic policing. And it's also possibly, though I'm sure not on purpose, a throwback to like uh, Godard. <laughs> what's the movie? I was hoping you said Hillstreet Blues. <laughs> what's, what's the movie where they're, um, where they're torturing the Algerian and the, it was the one, it was like filmed after Breathless, but then it was banned for 10 years or 20 years. A woman is a woman. <laughs> yes. Woman et le woman. Um, le petit soldat, maybe. That's actually one I've not seen. Le, so. uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, I would have to um, watch this double feature of this film. Yeah. But, uh, it's basically Z. Um, it's basically the Battle of Algiers. Um, oh. So. So we have the uh, counterinsurgency policing subplot that's going back and forth with the the uh, the uh, PTSD veteran kidnapper subplot, and then through torture, it always you know the torture scenes are weird because it seems like they're set you know seems like they're saying that torture doesn't work and that the police are corrupt. But then they actually follow the lead that they got from torture and went to this like Franklin cover-up. So it did work, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't even a false confession; it was like a real confession. That so so they go to see so, Tom is an authoritarian on the authoritarian spectrum of the <laughs> the diagram. Yeah, yeah. So now, so they go to this house, which I guess is supposed to be like. A, Look like Jeffrey Epstein's house. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he. This was made in 2011, by the way, so he was, he was way on the ball. Way on the ball. But this house, it's like <laughs> it's so bad. It's like a I don't know. It's with it's McMansion like uh, over at over. Yes, over expressing yes, yes. like the grandeur it's, it of this place. It looks like a upper middle class suburban home in the midwest yeah like like prefab home yeah almost. yeah this is a whole thing of this movie is so. these like homes of the super rich are just like <laughs> just really they gross. look like twice the size of my studio apartment with some bad hotel art <laughs> yeah. spackled on the walls when we get into the miller some jeffrey epstein character yeah and, and miller of course is uh Jewish, and we get into yes. you know Miller Jewish. We know that from this. So, so he gets into the uh, this gets into the obsession with uh, Zionism and uh, you know possibly anti-Semitism. Or every person who I've ever interviewed who appeared in a uh, in a C. Tom film to the man instead of anti-Semitic, they call it anti-Semitist. Like, this is where I think this movie is gets anti-Semitist. I think they do say that we will put you on trial for anti-Semitism. Oh, oh. Anti-Semitist. In every movie, in every, like, so, so the police go into this house and there's this, like, really shady guy. He's in a suit, so you know he's a bad guy. And the Dennis Farina-like character starts, you know, telling him basically that, you know, I know what you're doing. You're trafficking women. Um, we're going to take you to jail. And then, oh, what does he say? I will sue you for anti-Semitism and defamation. I will call my lawyer Bernstein. <laughs> and then who, who walks in? Remember? Chief of Police. I didn't know you were going to quiz me of this movie that's going to go one in here and out the other. Uh, Chief of Police walks in <laughs> with like with like a forty year old woman in pigtails. At yes, 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 yes. Her. She's only thirteen, by the she's way. Like, she's like forty, probably thirty five, thirty years old. She's wearing pigtails, and she walks in. She goes, "Hi, 
I'm 13 year old. Which when I saw that, I wasn't sure if that was just like an issue of, uh, you know, a responsible parent not wanting to let their child be in this movie and just casting a 35 year old woman you knew or if he was paying tribute to the great, great um, 1994 comedy uh, with Charles Grodin and Martin Short <laughs> Clifford, where he plays a. 10-year-old boy, I think, as, as a 40-year-old man, yes. And no one no one references that he's 40 years old. It's it's just comedy galore. And that <laughs> comedy galore. And I think he might have been sort of doing that thing. But I really don't know. Um, they, uh, this movie is just like a Borgie's tone poem. It just puts you in different labyrinths and labyrinths of labyrinths. And you, you, you just struggle to figure out what it all means. And then, and then, they start talking about how the rich and powerful can have their way with with young girls and no one can do anything, including the chairman of the monetary fund and uh, famous uh, exiled director, Italian Polsky. Italian Polsky. But that, that, that name, Italian Polsky, um, it took us a little while to figure out what that was in reference to. Because apparently Rome is a city in Italy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Roman, if you put an A-N at the end of that, that and Polsky is like a sausage. <laughs> it, it's somehow a reference to Robert Polanski. It's like that episode of, of Batman <laughs> where the, the villain was uh, named Norm Clavicle in reference to... Um, Gloria Steinem, because clavicle is also a bone. <laughs> I don't know. Please interrupt me, because I'm. I was just I'm trying to explain notes, many I think things we're that I, I cannot up. find attraction to. <laughs> well, um, I've all right, a, so back and forth. You might have to edit that out because it doesn't make any. any uh, oh, don't worry, I'll edit yet. a lot. Oh out. yeah, the, this is like a four minutes. <laughs> we're going on for three hours here, and this is like this may be like a f- ninety seconds you could use for this. <laughs> So, so back and forth, back and forth. They're at home. At some point, the heat gets cut off, and and the uh, and and the veteran and the two little girls are pretending to shiver, like huddled around uh, like a Yankee candle in the middle of this like sunlit room. Which, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. It's obviously about eighty-two degrees outside. Yeah, it's very clearly very. I mean, you know, during that uh, the one assassination scene. No, no one's wearing, you know, wool or, or, or coats. They don't have their <laughs> coats on. I mean, it's very clearly happening uh, in direct correlation to the time of that's that narrative, whatever that is. And no one, no one, no one's wearing their, their winter winter jackets. Everyone looks very comfortable in their, their shorts and short sleeve shirts. This film. So back and forth, going between uh, the veteran and the. Um and the police force trying to track down, trying to bring Miller to justice. And um, then at the end of the movie, we're going to, we're not going to do a blow by blow, but at the end of the movie, it Why turns not? out. There's so much to cover in this <laughs> film. Well, I think we really covered all yeah. of it. The end of the there's movie. There's a lot to unpack um, here and I recommend everyone. There's everyone, explosive- everyone benefit Mr. C Tom, by paying $2 or $10. And renting this movie from uh, a website or web web browser that Mr. Bezos owes called Amazon. Well, the thing that, you know, there is like a shock surprise ending and that, uh, granted, we did have to watch this three times to get it. Yeah, I'm so but, glad he got that check. But he got I, that four ninety nine check from me. I'll tell you. you. I'll tell you. This is the most effective. Like any other of his movies, I would just say what he was trying to do because it would be hilarious. But this, I think the the viewer could actually watch and appreciate. And it's like at least on a, like a this is so bad it's good level. And but it really does end in that kind of. In addition to there being this like shock surprise ending, I'm not going to spoil. It does end in this. Um, kind of 
kind of dejected, like seventies paranoid thriller. Yeah, mode I mean, it really where there are is no the, heroes, and the, the contemporary win. parallax view. It, it is. It's a <laughs> parallax view. It's very. Um, I think it compares to a uh, Clute. Yes, all all of Alan J. Palooka's filmography <laughs> is, is pretty much encapsulated in this 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 one C. Tom film. Yeah. So, um, and then it ends. And do you think there's a, you know. I'm going to go through my notes here. I want to make sure that we express just how perverse and weird this filmmaker is. But, you know, the 70s paranoia thing, um, kind of there's an MR, there's a few men's rights activists. Moments. Yeah, I, I did write something down. It's like, um, it's like when you, so, so the girls, you know the girls yeah so like they they start as being kidnapped but by the end of the movie they're like a weird family yeah i mean it, it's like the little girls it's totally stockholm, stockholm syndrome, syndrome. degree yes. and then like you know the one girl gets sick and needs money to go to the hospital in mexico for some reason <laughs> and um and they're like daddy go out and ask people for money and he's like I'm a man, and no they, one will they help want to a man. Me or give me money because I'm a man. No one helps mans in this world. Yeah, like. <laughs> there's Zionism. There are no good guys in this movie. I I just have to say that in the end, there it's not. There's not a message. It's really just like a collection of of C. Tom's impressions of the world. He's created a world. Based on his skewed view of this world, and I mean that's what's so fascinating about this because I'm just intrigued by films that take place in the own realms of the artist or filmmaker's own mind, right? And they aren't really movies, but just reflections of the perceptions of the artist responsible <laughs> for them, and it it it, it just creates so much more invitation to exploration of of that narrative of their mm-hmm. of their mind of this is and it's like a movie within a movie it creates this whole meta meta narrative so you're gonna give it a uh ebert thumbs up or thumbs down i'm gonna give it a uh where do i go on this i i i i want to give it an extreme thumbs up for for something that you must watch um but there are major reservations i have with it uh uh you must watch this if you want to just get into see tom's mind let me just say that and i think that's all i could say about that um yeah and i'll agree and i'll just add that um see tom really was clued into a lot of th- obsessions that this film was released in 2011 so that means it was probably released in 2010 2008 and 2006 before yeah. that it was yeah, probably he, made in like 2004 yeah so he really was ahead of his time yeah he, he got it all right so I, yeah for that other part but so i think five bags of popcorn <laughs> and um dylan thank you very much this has been enlightening this is for QAnon. They call us deplorable And we love the name They got the bodies in the dirt And need someone to blame They hate us And we just don't care Because the bodies are cold And the brains ain't there But we go So that was uh, Dylan Coleslaw with Yours Truly, and uh, we talked about movies for a little bit, and also, I hope, connected it to a wider story that at least is tangentially related to the failed state update. Thanks for listening, and um, I know these things aren't coming out regularly, these podcast episodes lately, because I'm still trying to catch up on this uh, book thing that I will tell you more about later. But um, soon we'll be back on track. One other thing I just just occurred to me to mention is that 
I did do an article about C. Tom for Splice Today uh, a couple years ago, and I think if you made it this far, first of all, congratulations. And uh, second of all, um, if you made it this far, I'm assuming you want to hear more. So uh, check the show notes for that, and we'll catch you later. QAnon Phenomenon by Sage Wanderer. The QAnon Phenomenon On 4chan he's been posting on All the secret things we never knew Of the swamp he is a resident And he might just know the president Or is this Donald Trump telling the truth? Cross, cross, cross He's asking all these questions Help us find the truth, asking all these questions about the hell that's breaking loose. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves are causing secret info wars. Godfather 3 is hiding sacred clues. The warlocks and the witches play secret global power games. Will all these little breadcrumbs find the truth? He's asking all these questions to help us find the truth. Asking all these questions about the hell that's breaking loose. The QAnon phenomenon on 4chan he's been posting on all the secret things we never knew of the swamp he is a resident or maybe it's the president oh he is posting all the truths he's asking all these questions make america great again the president has had a massive stroke we have the best medical team available to assist in this kind of case You did many bad things, you know that? A lot of people have been asking questions. We don't do anything illegal or unethical. I want him to be dead. Pull out the breathing tube from his mouth or turn off the switch in the lower left bottom of the ventilator. Or better yet, we'll shoot him and make a report saying that he was wearing a suicide belt. We had to shoot him according to the ticking bomb theory. Can we do that? Oh yeah, we do that all the time. 